Welcome to Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston. Here's where I get to talk to amazing people from all over the world who are making a positive impact and discuss topics in every single area of life. The sky's the limit. Some might be a little controversial, but eh, we don't shy away from them because everyone I speak to is coming from a good space. So it's an opportunity to learn a lot and expand your mind. This week's awesome and inspiring guest is Pete Ladman. Now, I'm very excited because I was reading through his book and we are definitely kindred spirits. But before we get to Pete, let me tell you a little bit about him. He is a consultant, a speaker, a best-selling author. That's not easy these days. Who has been featured on Fox News, CBS Radio, and CNNMoney.com. Oh, I love that. This is going to be good for me. His latest book, Work Stronger, which I so believe in habits for more energy, less stress and higher performance at work. Who doesn't want that? Don't talk to my employees. (laughs) It's available on amazon.com and it's a bestseller. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you and happy for you. Hello, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. So let me ask you this before we even get started. I know you published also with Skyhorse Publishing. Is that true? I did. We have the same publisher. And when did yours come out? So mine came out at the end of July, 2018. Oh, so really around the same time, the same year. Same year. I know that's so exciting, but we were chatting up a little beforehand like I do, but this is not your first book. It's not. It's actually my second book. My first book came out back in 2012. It was called, I got my dream job and so can you. And that was a book for a, a different audience that was geared towards students and recent grads. It was all about how to go from college to career. Uh, this current oh, book is is more, um, you know, for people who are already in their career. It's about having more energy and less stress at work. Okay, so I know every single human being wants that, and I don't know about you, but in my field, which you do a lot with fitness too, a lot of people may not have the financial freedom they want, but most people really like what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, in the other realm, a lot of my friends. It's a paycheck. You know, mm-hmm. they have kids. I'm sure you've heard this thing, which is, by the way, I always ask three people when I know my guest what questions they want me to ask you. So we have to make sure I get them in. But mm-hmm. the biggest thing they, you know, they're saying, okay, Sandy, we get it. You love what you do. Blah, blah, blah. You're lucky. But when you have two or three kids, sometimes four, and you took a career and you took a job and you're like, wait a minute, this is not exactly what I wanted. But the income's there. You can't just shift it around, you know, mm-hmm. or your husband or wife will like have a coronary. Mm-hmm. So how can this book even help them? So I want to start right off with that. Like, what do you do in that situation? So I, are you talking about the second book or the first book? Um, the first book right now. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the first book, again, is is more geared towards students and recent grads. And it's kind of, yeah. you know, as you as you enter the work, yeah, as you enter the workforce, it's kind of how to yeah. how to think about what you might want to do and, and how to actually approach that process. But, yeah. you know, and I think and to be clear, I mean, I think this this concept of a dream job for a lot of people might be kind of misunderstood. I mean, we're not talking about finding your soulmate. This is not about finding the one. You know, I think there are a lot of things that could be dream jobs for people. It's about helping people, you know, really think about, you know, what are your passions? What are your talents? How can you combine them in a way that's going to be meaningful to you and, and valuable to society? So, you know, that's that's what I mean when I talk about a dream job. I love that. All right. So now fast forward. When you're talking about right now, work stronger. Mm-hmm. Do you think 
that it's possible for those people that are in jobs they don't like to still apply this? Absolutely. I think it's even more important for people. If, if they're not, mm-hmm. if you're not excited about what you're doing, it's even more important that you're managing your energy because you're, you're probably coming into work every day and you're already at a lower level in terms of excitement. So it's even, it's even more important to be mindful about, you know, the areas that we're going to talk about, but, but yeah, I mean, this is the second book is, is it's really about, you know, how do you get, you know, more done in less time and with less stress. And, you know, I would say, you know, stronger hours, not longer hours are the key to high performance. So it's not about how long you work. It's about what do you do with that time? You know, Pete, I just want to say one thing. We should have had you on earlier before the holiday <laughs> season because do you know what happens at my gym during the holiday season? It's panic mode. Yep, yep. <laughs> and you start seeing people drop off like flies because they can't get that in and work and all that yep. stuff. So, but anyhow, that's really cool. All right. So we're going to today, folks, just so you know, we're going to home in basically on Pete's life and his journey and also about his second book, Work Stronger. So. Before we get into how you're going to resolve all the issues within everyone's company, mm-hmm. especially mine, which is cool because yep. we're growing fast and I could use a lot of tidbits here. Uh, let's. I want to know why you got into this because I know you told me before this, you know, I think you said you were a recruiter. Correct. Yeah. I mean, right before writing Work Stronger, uh, I spent about five years working as an executive recruiter for Hydric and Struggles, which is one of the world's top executive search firms. And, and, you know, I've always been interested in, in fitness and performance and how we can become the best version of ourselves. I mean, that's something I've been, you know, passionate about for, for 20 years now, which we can get into more, but at Hydric, you know, when I was recruiting all these executives and seeing up close, all the pressure they face, you know, the, the crazy hours that a lot of them work, you know, I always thought there was a, there was another approach. There was a better way to go about this. So not just, you know, trying to log as many hours as possible, but, but really managing your energy and, and taking care of yourself in a way to, to be more productive. So um, with the book, what I did is I you know, went through all the research, and then I also interviewed over 40 prominent leaders who were examples of people who are working stronger, you know, people yeah. who, despite all this pressure, despite all these commitments, despite having families, you know, are still doing a really good job managing their energy. And as a result, they're thriving and their companies are thriving too. That, that was brilliant. That must have been so much fun. Ton of fun. Ton of fun. And you meet a lot of great people. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I mean, it was, uh, you know, speaking uh, to like-minded people like you and me who are really passionate about this topic, but these are people who are coming at it, you know, they're in the corporate world, right? I mean, yeah. you know, this is just something that is interesting to them, but but they're reaping benefits professionally because of these topics that we're going to talk about. So. You did that, and then we were just talking about because one of my um, old assistants moved to Arlington, where you live, and you teach classes, which is cool. I do. I teach. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fitness nut, going all the way back to uh, body transformation. I went through at the end of high school, and I teach a couple of high intensity interval training classes in my free time. So, work stronger in some ways is kind of bridging my passion for fitness and well-being with my corporate experience. And, and, you know, there's a lot of overlap. So how many classes do you teach a week? I usually only do a couple a week. Okay. And do you like go around to different places or, you know, like pop-up classes or you have one place that you teach? So I've been teaching for Gold's Gym in Arlington for about a decade now. And Ah. then um, what I also started doing about six years ago is I host a free community workout at the local track uh, once a week. 
Uh, most cool. people, that, yeah, most people that come are from my class, but it's open to anybody in the community. So, you know, they'll bring friends or family or other people. And we usually get 30 or, or 40 people for the track workouts. The class at Gold's Gym is is even bigger than that. Wow, that's fun. I love that you get to combine that. You know, that happens too, you know, because you know I own health clubs. Yep. The same thing we, it used to be that people, it was their full-time career. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying we don't have some of them, but we have more people that are accountants and lawyers. Yep. And they and they they actually, for us, since we're in a corporate setting area in downtown Philly, they teach at lunch. And they said, mm-hmm. Sandy, this is like my savior. Absolutely. And, and plus the fact, which is great, most of their companies will definitely not schedule them for meetings because they know they're not just going for fun. They're actually teaching the class mm-hmm. and they have like, you can't, I teach during that time. And I think it's amazing, you know, and I love it. I love that they do that. And I love that they can bring that into their life and just be a part-time thing, but they're so passionate and fun about it. So it's really cool. So let's back up even more than mm-hmm. that. Cause I did reading the, you know, your book. I love it by the way. I love it. Yeah, really love it. I love the way you outlined it. It's user friendly, but not only that, a lot of times, even my agent said to me when I was writing my mm-hmm. book, Oh, Sandy, is it going to be another one of these books? It's just blah, 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 but there's no tools. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, be happy, be peaceful, yep. don't stress out, yep. but there's no tools. You know, uh-huh. yours definitely give you strategies and tools how you can apply. And I love that. You know, it's not just like, yeah. Yeah, no, I, don't I, do I appreciate that. that. I mean, that's the goal. I mean, I wanted it to be really practical and, you know, hopefully inspiring people, but also giving them some real, some real tangible things to actually do or, or stop doing. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's what you did. Mm-hmm. You know, you broke it. It's brilliant. I love it. Love it. Love it. But I do like your story. Like, let's talk about when you were 15. Uh-huh. What the heck was going on when you were 15 there? Peace. No, it's funny. I mean, I, I joke in the book. I mean, when I was, when I was 15, I was five foot 10, I was 119 pounds. And, you know, as I joke in the book, there's no way that anybody would have predicted then that I'd eventually write a book with the word stronger in the title. Right. Yeah. It was not exactly I like, that, like the size. 13, like. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was I'm so awkward. I mean, it's funny thinking back to those teenage years. Yeah, I got the idea that you did not like being a size 13. Yeah, but um, I look like a human L. I mean, that's what I said in, in the book. So, yeah. but yeah. yeah, I, you know, on a more serious note, I mean, I got tired of kind of the way that I looked. I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I got tired of, of kind of being, feeling weak. And I was very fortunate to be mentored by an older friend who kind of brought me to the gym with him. I had no idea what I was doing. I was totally intimidated. And he brought me along with him and, and kind of taught me the ropes and, you know, over the course of a year, I went through a pretty significant transformation. I started eating better and, and getting into strength training and, um, you know, went through a pretty significant transformation. And it, it really just set me down a, a totally different path. And it inspired me to to want to go out and help other people, you know, become stronger and, and, you know, not just physically, but also mentally and psychologically and, and just become the strongest version of yourself. Wow. You all, that friend was a really cool guy or girl. I mean, that was great. Yeah. And it's fun. You know, I, I still stay in touch with him and, um, I gave him a signed copy of this book when I was home for Thanksgiving. So it was, it was meaningful to kind of, you know, 20 years later, you know, to, to oh, tell him God. in person, you know, what an impact he had. I mean, he probably didn't realize, you know, no, you know how big of an impact he had. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So, all right. So the thing is with you, which I love, then you felt it firsthand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can see that it's not like you were always this fit sports jock. Like yep. you didn't feel that way. Like you felt not great about your body and you were able to change it yep. to feel really good yep. about it. Yeah. And you still do that to this day. I do. I mean, I practice what I preach. I mean, I'm 
I'm probably in better shape now than I've ever been. And I still compete. I compete in endurance obstacle races. So that's a big part of it. You know, I mean, it's, um, you know, I've done a bunch. I mean, the, the tough mutters and the Spartan, yeah. and, um, you know, some of the more extreme ones. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I want to be an example to, to others. So, you know, it's a big motivator for me. You know, it's funny that you say that a lot of people that come in and teach, t- take our sports conditioning classes mm-hmm. and they're in their thirties and forties and fifties and say they've never been in better shape. Yep. Ever. You know, it's not like they were all big athletes. Some of them even say the same thing. Like they were not that star athlete. They were not even that kid. And now they're able to do it. So I love that. It's not like you shouldn't feel intimidated because no matter where you start, it's amazing. The transformation you can see as an adult, no matter what age. Yeah, absolutely. It's never too late. And you know, it's more about where you finish than where you start. All right. So where'd you grow up, Pete? Grew up in Long Island, New York. Did you really? Wait, this is too weird right now because my assistant that had to move is moved to Arlington and my new assistant is from Long Island. That's funny. We're connected here. Yeah. And she loves it. She said it was the greatest child. Like it was the perfect like she has like an acre of land in her backyard in new york right there what about you no i mean it was a suburban area it was about a half hour outside of new york city um you know great town my parents still live there i'll be uh yeah. you know i'm up there probably seven or eight times a year it's easy to get up there from the dc area so uh, a lot of a lot of fun memories. my assistant and you don't even know it. <laughs> what'd you say you wonder if i'm what neighbors with my hey maybe, maybe. Yeah, i'm you telling know. you yeah you know Anywho, so you go up there a lot. I do. I get up there a decent amount. And you go to New York City? A little bit. My brother, I have one brother. He lives in Manhattan. So I get up okay. to, uh, you know, usually what happens is I'll go stay with him for a day or two before or after we go to see our parents on Long Island. And um, yeah, I'm the one person in the family who's outside of New York. So as you can imagine, I'm always getting some uh, some gentle pressure to, to to make my way back up north again. Really? Yeah. You're not that far. Come on, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> not that big of a deal. Yeah. How far? Like a train ride, right? Yeah, I mean it's a few hours, but you know, and it's it's you know it's driven by good intentions, and they're not yeah. they're not overbearing about it. it but they you know, just miss their. Yeah, son. we're close. You know, we just wish we had more time together. So, when's the last time you were there? Last time I was there was, um, you know, I went up there for Thanksgiving. I, my brother ran the New York Marathon a few weeks before that, so I was up there for that too. Wait, you have a fitness family? I guess I do. Um, you know, my brother's more of a runner. I'm more, I like more of the, uh, the interval training and, and the lifting and, and uh, he's more of a, a marathon runner. Yeah. But still in all, that's pretty good. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. definitely. You know, how about parents? Were they really into that? Not so much. I mean, my dad, um, you know, my dad played basketball in high school and briefly in college. I actually, I played basketball in high school and, and briefly in college too. Uh, my mom is not an athlete. She's an artist. Uh, she's an art therapist. She works with kids that have autism and other issues. She's incredibly talented. Um, she's not, she's not an athlete though. Yeah. No, but that, that's incredible. Yeah. And she uses her art to help them. Like that's what she does. Exactly. She teaches art. Exactly. So I come from a very service-minded family. My parents are educators, so I think they kind of yeah. infuse that into me. And your brother too? So he does service work in his free time, um, but professionally he's got a job in, in sales. So it's all right. It's all in the family. Absolutely. All right, Pete. I just wanted to get a little feel. 
for you. But I mean, how about you? Are you single? Are you married with kids? Do you have a dog? Do you have a cat? <laughs> wow, none, none of the above. I'm going to sound like a lonely person here. No pets and I'm single. But, um, no, wait, wait a minute. Do you want a cat? Because I have four cats and a dog. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to respectfully pass on that offer. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love you. I sound lonely. I have no pets. I'm, not <laughs> I'm sure you are not lonely. I have plenty of friends, you know. Tons and tons of friends. Yeah. Watch every single person out there will be like, wait a minute. Who's he? It's, it's not a dating website, people. It's not a dating website. <laughs> all right. Well, anywho, back to um, let's go to the book. Okay. All right. We'll come back to that later. You know, because yep. people are going to be, believe it or not, they, they are going to be interested in that area. Um, but let's start with the easier one before the book. Do you want a pet? Are you sure you don't want a pet? Yeah, I think about it and uh, I'll get back to you. Okay. I just want to make sure. Right. Not, not my dog. I love my dog Dawson, but my husband keeps bringing home cats. So we're up to four. Okay. So I'm willing, I love them, but I'm willing to give you one. If you get lonely, right. you just I'll call. keep that in mind. All right. So. I did go through the book and I, like I said, I love it. And I like the way you set it up, you know, with starting off with your purpose and your belief mm -hmm. and then the optimism and the I mean, and then you built on it. Mm -hmm. But I think what I really want to do is we don't want to give away the farm, but let's just go through. And I want you to explain why you did that outline. Like what, why did you sure. come up with that? Well, I think there's a lot of books out there that that talk about what to do or what not to do. I mean, countless books written on on these topics. Um, I wanted to put something together that really gets people to think about why it's important to them, right? I always say where there's a why, there's a way. I know you talk yeah. about you know you know motivation and why it's important to you. So you know, really wanted to start there. I mean, once you're clear on your why, everything else becomes a little bit easier. Um, and I wanted people to understand how to change, right? You know, not just knowing what to do, but how to actually do it, how to make the change last, how to break bad habits, how to make good habits stick. So I wanted the, the beginning of the book to really be a little bit more strategic. And then the second part of the book gets into, okay, now that you know how to change behavior, this is what you might want to stop yeah. doing or start doing. Yeah. I love that. So here's the deal. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody, he's like, he, like Pete's saying, everyone knows in the new year, Come on, Pete. We got a million people making resolutions, right? Yep. And they all try it. And uh, the percentages are very high mm -hmm. of how many people stick with them. So my second question to you, which came from one of the people on my spin bike yesterday, mm -hmm. is, all right, Pete, now, I always make New Year's resolutions. And then two to three weeks later, I do not stick with them. So I'm not going to make them this year. And I said, no, 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 that's bad. But I don't want to give you my advice. Mm -hmm. What's your advice to them, Pete? I actually don't believe in New Year's resolutions. So I think a more I think what's smarter for people to well let me step back for a second. I think there's a couple of reasons why most resolutions fail. I think number one, people try to take on too much at once. So, you know, okay. we say, Hey, this is gonna be the year I'm gonna finally get healthy, I'm gonna finally, you know, enjoy life more, I'm gonna finally do whatever. And it's overwhelming. It's too much at one time, and as you said, a couple of weeks later, you know, they're back to square one. The second okay. problem with resolutions is they're too vague. So people say things like, hey, I want to enjoy life more. Hey, I want to get healthier. And it's like, what does that mean? It's not specific. How, you know, there's no way to tell if you're actually making progress. So what I actually, what I actually recommend is to... Um, it's too general. Yeah, it's general. too... Be more specific. I recommend that what people do is they identify a stronger habit of the month. And that is a specific, tangible behavior, something you're going to 
either start doing or do more often, or something you're going to stop doing or do less often, a really specific behavior. And you focus on that exclusively, you know, for at least a few weeks, maybe a month. And if you were to do that, you're not going to get overwhelmed. It's going to be a lot easier to, to track if you're making progress. And it's that stepladder approach. I mean, if you were to form one stronger habit of the month, you know, five months, six months, 12 months from now, you'd be on a totally different level. It would be much more sustainable. It would require no willpower. And that's really how people make changes last when they're very specific and they make it more manageable. So, I mean, I would say do that. I mean, forget the resolution, identify a specific habit that you're going to work on one at a time. Yeah. And you know what? It's, it's, I hope they take your advice because I believe 100%, like I had no debate on any, every, anything that Pete's saying, but here's the deal. And that's what they have to get rid of. You, how you said one thing at a time, people, I don't know why they're all or none. Do you yep. ever find that? Like they, they don't like the way they look. They don't like yep. the way they feel and that's it. Screw it. And they're going to do it all. But people look at the results. If it worked for you, great but it's not working. So let's just change one thing at a time. And you got to change that mindset because that's usually what happens. You're right. They don't do anything and then they want to do everything, but it, it, you know, it's not sustainable. Let me add one other thought to that though. Right. I mean, I'm saying identify one habit of the month. That's something that you're committing to. Like you're going to make that happen. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to do other positive stuff along the way. Right. So let's (laughs) say, you know, but consider that other stuff a bonus. So maybe you say, Hey, you know what? the number one habit that I'm going to focus on is every morning I'm going to start eating a healthy breakfast, you know, and in the book, I get specific on what that would look like, but, um, you know, you need healthy breakfast. That doesn't mean you can't also start trying to get more sleep or you can't also try to cut back on your screen time, but keep it as a bonus as opposed to, you know, these are the 12 things that I'm going to try to incorporate into my life simultaneously. And if I don't do all 12, I'm a failure. I mean, that's not a good approach, right? No, no, you and I, this is really weird because I hope we can argue about something on here. Like I like to argue in a healthy way. It sounds like we're the exact same thing, but you know, I came at it from a different angle, but it's, it's everything I agree with Mm -hmm. that the rest will come along. If you home in on one, the other things will come along because you won't see failure and your brain and your body and your soul wants to see success. So, and I love the way you said it because mine's too airy fairy. Yours is like, <laughs> yours is more practical. I like that, Pete. Practical right, so, Pete. <laughs> practical Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got to get a cat? Practical Pete has a cat. <laughs> Anywho, or is going to meet my assistant when she's home for the holidays <laughs> and realize it's his neighbor. Oh, there's a setup. And well, no, no, no. We don't want her moving. Okay. She's going to kill me. All right. Let's go. So now we got about the New Year's resolutions. I asked you that. We're all good with that. Let's just start at the beginning where you talk about beliefs and purpose. Mm-hmm. Can we expand upon that just a tidbit? Not too much, but tidbit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, when people think they want to make a change, you know, they think, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? And obviously, if you want to change your life, you need to change your behavior. But and you talk about this a lot in your book too. I mean, your beliefs drive your behavior, your mindset, you know, the way you view yourself, the way you talk to yourself, it's so critical. So, you know, the the first, you know, level of this framework I talk about in the book, the power pyramid, the P stands for purpose. You got to know why a change is important to you because there are going to be moments where you're 
you know, where change is not easy, you know, where it's tough and you're going to consciously or subconsciously ask yourself, why am I doing this? You know, why am I going to the gym today instead of taking it easier? You know, why am I focusing on this difficult project when I could, you know, procrastinate and and do something easier, you know? So, so why is it important to you? And and the more clear you are on that, why, and the more powerful that, why the easier everything else becomes. Yeah. It gets you up on the days you don't want to get up. Yeah. You have to have that. You have to have that. Okay, so now we have our purpose. I really, and I want to talk a little bit about the optimism, Mm -hmm. but I want to talk about, were you born that way or did you develop optimism? Like, did you come out like Pippi Skippy? No, no. Pippi Skippy, but you know. you know that was actually my nickname when I was a kid was was Pippi Skippy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I think optimism is something that is cultivated. It's something that is you know. There's a great book called Learned Optimism. I think you even referenced that in your book by Martin Seligman. So, optimism is something that that can be learned. Um, you know, I'm like anybody else. I can still get down at times. You know, personally, professionally, and I think it's it's being aware of being very deliberate with, you know, what you say to yourself, because if you, if you go into a change or you pursue a goal and you don't really believe it can happen, your chances of success. I mean, we know this, but, um, you know, it's, it's much less likely to materialize. So you, there, you know, there are a number of different ways that you can, you know, become more optimistic, but it is absolutely critical because again, there are okay. challenges along the way. All right. So now let me just ask you something. I have to ask, how old do you, Pete? 37. Okay. I was thinking 35. So I have a son who's 15 Mm -hmm. and you know, mom really doesn't, he hears blah, 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 blah. There she goes. Mm -hmm. Right. So today in the car, this is a perfect example. He knows how to get me. He forgets his headset. They're allowed to use, you know, listen to music while they're in art Mm -hmm. class. So he's on his drive and I take him into freshman high school and he's like, oh my gosh, I forgot that I'm such an idiot. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I'm so, you know, I'm like, oh my God, don't call. He goes, no, mom, there's nothing you're going to say. Matter of fact, he was so mad. He goes, which he knows will get me. He goes, I just hate myself for this. I'm like, oh my God. I go, Cole, those words, you know, are not valuable to play in your head. You forgot something. It's not a big deal. He's like, no, I really do, mom. I really do. And you're just going to have to live with that. So, of course, it drives me crazy because I'm the power of words means yep. so much. But I need advice here, Pete. What can I tell a 15 year old boy who's really just trying to get his mom's goat? I'm sure, but does it matter when you're 15? Because, like, mom, it doesn't matter. We don't we don't think of it that way. When we say our hate ourselves, it's not like you know I really hate myself or I'm an idiot. But I don't think it's healthy. So go, Pete. Maybe Man, I'm wrong. You're challenging. You you're asking me for. Teenage parenting advice. I do not think I'm an expert on that one, but um, <laughs> no, I think, I don't know. I mean, if you want to have that conversation with me, you might want to, as opposed to, I always think it's better rather than giving somebody advice, maybe to ask them a question and kind of get them to come to their own conclusion. Maybe something, okay. maybe something like, Hey, you know, what, what do you think is likely to, what are, what's the impact if you keep kind of talking you know, to yourself where you keep labeling yourself that way, what's, what's likely to happen or, you know, what, what behaviors are likely to follow that sort of thinking? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that might be a, another approach as opposed to just kind of telling him what he's doing. Wrong. No, you're right. No, you're right. You know, because usually when it's your kid, you just want to smack him in the head. It's different. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can help all the other college kids, you know, improve their life with positivity, yep. but when it's your kid, it's more emotional. But just in general, mm-hmm. do you believe that, I don't want to give you my, and they've heard me to, you know, you're like preaching to the choir here, but what's your belief system of a different way to angle it when someone keeps saying words like that? Not just a 15 year old, because you hear people yep. say that and they go, oh, see, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'll, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm saying that. Do you think it matters when people keep saying to themselves, I'm such an idiot, I'm such an idiot? Oh, of course. Of course it matters. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and me are, again, we're not going to disagree on this one. You know, I think the way that, okay. and there's, there's a ton of research, right? I mean, this whole concept of growth mindset versus fixed mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck at Stanford, where she, she talks about, you know, the identity you adopt for yourself, the labels you put on yourself, it has a profound impact on, on, you know, whether you, you know, pursue a challenge, whether you persist, um, the way you interact with other people. I mean, it has such a, it's such an obvious basic concept, but a lot of people just take for granted the way they talk about themselves. So, yeah. Can you say that doctor's name again? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Carol Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. She wrote a book called Mindset, and she talks about you know really having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. And and growth mindset means that your abilities can be developed. A fixed mindset means mm-hmm. that you know this this is just the way you are. And um, you know she also talks about this concept of identity and the way you talk about yourself and the way you label yourself and how that impacts you know the way you lead your life. Okay. Just so you know, this is really too weird again. He, he and I have been talking about like too many things are crossing over. I got asked, the reason I'm asking is because I got asked in the next month to speak at an elementary school and the teacher just wrote an article and she sent it to me. And it, these are first graders mm-hmm. and it's about fixed mindset versus growth mindset that she practices with the kids. And now I didn't know. I thought it came from her. I guess she was referring yeah. to Dr. Cal. Yeah, well, Dr. Dweck has, I guess, developed this curriculum that's gone into schools where, yeah, they're trying to teach kids at an early age yeah. that, you know, instead of saying, like, I'm not good at fill in the blank, it's I'm not good at fill in the blank yet. Right. It's that, hey, you can improve. Like, that's that's yeah. where it is now. But your situation is not fixed. It can be changed. So trying to teach even kids at an early age, fortunately, a lot of adults have been yeah. – telling themselves certain things for 30, 40, 50 years. You know what? One of my pet peeves that my staff knows, if you just say, I don't know, you you, you should see my face. Like, you know, it it just cringes. So, okay, advice. When an employee doesn't know something, and maybe it isn't their department, what should be the response? I don't know. Maybe so-and-so I can find out. I don't know. Like, what is the answer? Fill in the gaps. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's how, well, how are you going to figure it out? I mean, it's, it's developing that it's, it's the growth mindset is all about resourcefulness. It's right. Okay. You're not there yet. How are you going to get there? So, you know, it's, it's trying to, uh, you know, if there's, if there's like that challenge in front of you, it's like, how are you going to go around it? You're going to go over it. You're going to go through it, you know, below it. I mean, what's, what's the way through? I love that. You know, you're right. Do you ever, was there a book about everything, you know, you learned in kindergarten or something like that? You could. I don't know. You could apply now. Probably. Wasn't there a book? Yeah. Yeah. I think there is like a really famous book and I'm blowing it. So I'll make sure I requote it, but it is true. Like some of the basic lessons you could apply and the same thing. Can you imagine if they started this back when, you know, you were young in first grade? Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. It's amazing. All right. So let's get to the meat of it. <sighs> working hard versus working smart. Mm-hmm which is burnout. Let's talk to first, let's talk to business owners. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Why should your employees not work 60, 70, 80 hours a week? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, well, first of all, there's no working longer hours doesn't necessarily mean you got any more value done, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's the analogy I like to use, which you'll appreciate from a fitness analogy. If somebody, if it takes somebody six hours to run a marathon, are they more dedicated than somebody who ran a marathon in three hours? Like they're not more dedicated. They're just slower. You know, they're less, they're less, they're less, right. I mean, it's the truth. They're less efficient. So I think a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of companies and leaders think that, you know, hey, the longer you work, the more productive you are. And I think it's more important to, to look at the value. And what happens a lot of times is when people, and there, there's data and studies that have proven once you start getting over 50, 60 hours, you know, your performance actually declines. But what happens is I think one of the reasons why is because what are people, if you're working over 60 hours, you have to cut somewhere else, right? We all have a finite amount of time. So where do people cut? They cut out exercise, sleep, time with friends and family, personal hobbies, all the things that give us juice so that when we show up at work, we're at our best. So, you know, it's not like if you work those extra 20, 30 hours, it's you're just working extra Well, you're cutting out other stuff too. And that's the stuff that's going to make you better during the first 40 hours. I freaking love that. And I, you know, this sounds like a dumb moment for me, but it's an aha mm -hmm. moment. Like I try to put together so many analogies. I'm in the fitness mm -hmm. business. I never thought to do the marathon one. That's brilliant. Love it. Love it. Because now I can apply it in my yeah. head. It makes, I'm going to use that line all week long, Pete, just do so it. you know. But I will give you credit. I will give you credit. <laughs> credit where credit's due yeah. but it's so true like i don't understand when people like some of my friends who own companies and all that unless their employee looks miserable and like they're gut-wrenching over their desk yeah. you know or the computer or working wee hours they think they're not loyal or dedicated it just doesn't like if they start laughing well at their yeah. desk it's almost like they're not working hard it's you know? unfortunate. Now, maybe yeah. they're on Amazon Prime, but I don't know, you know, or some porn site. Who knows? But I do know that that's really hogwash. Mm -hmm. It's hogwash. So I wanted you to speak first to owners and entrepreneurs who have people. All right. Now, I love that we can talk now about the employee. Just give us, I know you have a lot of tips in your books, mm -hmm. which I love, but give us one that you think they could apply like right away. As far as going in and making sure, like, you know, that you have the most energy and don't burn out. Like, what's one big system you have? Well, I mean, I'll give you kind of a, an overview and then we can get kind of more specific. But, I mean, working stronger is really about – it's about four key – it's about four key areas, right? It's about mental focus. So, how do you manage your, your mental energy and, and attention during the day? Yeah. It's about uh, sleep and mindfulness and renewing your energy outside of work. It's about exercise and – and leveraging the cognitive and emotional benefits that exercise provides. And then nutrition, again, leveraging the cognitive and emotional benefits. So those are the four key areas, uh, framework that I refer to as the stronger cycle. So, you know, they're all important. I mean, if I had to pick one, I mean, yeah. you know, I think, uh, as basic as it sounds, it's, you know, a stronger morning really begins the night before. And I think, the number one thing that a lot of people would probably benefit from is just being more deliberate about their bedtime routine so that they can get more quality rest. Because if you wake up tired, you're coming into the day and you're already at a deficit. So, you know, getting that, 
getting that quality rest the night before, which, which can happen if you have a more, you know, peaceful, deliberate bedtime routine, as opposed to, you know, watching TV and checking emails and surfing the internet, like a lot of people do, like I used to do. Yeah. All right. So what's your bedtime routine? So mine is very, it's very different now than it was 10 years ago. So there's a few components. One of them, which I know you're really going to like because you're a big advocate of journaling. Um, so I have, I have three components, you know, other than of course, you know, brushing my teeth and, and personal hygiene type stuff. Um, yeah, we yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll spare that. Yeah. So the first thing that I do, yeah. the first thing that I do is, uh, I journal for a few minutes and I answer three questions every night before I go to bed. It's what are three things that I am grateful for today? Uh, what are three things? Shut up. Yeah, I do every day. Um, what are, you're making this up. Come on. Don't, don't, don't make me so happy over wait, here. So there's, and I also say, what are three things that I'm proud of doing today? So not just what is the world giving me, but what am I giving the world? And then what did I learn today? You know, what's, what's a way that I could improve? What is something that I, that I learned that, that, you know, that I picked up from somebody else, you know, an experience that I want to keep in mind for the future. Um, that's the first part of my routine. The second part of my routine all right, so let's just go over that okay. again. First part is gratitude. Yeah, what what am I grateful for today? Right, I like that. Then proud of, right? Yep. What am I proud of doing today? And then who taught you what? Yeah, what did I learn today? All right, cool. Love it. Just want to make sure. All right, a lot of people are going to be doing that, Pete. All right, now. What's the next part? So part number two, I, I turn off all the lights. I mean, the electronics are off at this point and I, I lay on my back and I do some light stretching just to kind of, oh, yeah, just to kind of slow down and stretch out any part of my body that's kind of tight. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just further helps me kind of get in a, a peaceful mood before sleep. Um, so I do that for a few minutes. Um, and then I get into bed and I, I run through, I kind of, again, you're going to like it. I visualize everything in my life that I am not, not just from that day, but in general that I'm grateful for. So I'll I'll picture my parents' faces. I'll picture my friends' faces. I'll, you know, think about everything I'm grateful for with my health and my career and, and, you know, my, uh, uh, you know, academic experiences and just kind of run through this list of everything that I appreciate. Um, and it usually, I'm, I'm usually asleep by the time I'm done. Right. What'd you say? Yeah. No emails. Oh, no, definitely not. No answering emails. No, that gets shut down no. way before bed. You hear that, people? I don't care how addicted you are to it. I'm telling you, it'll make the world of difference. So when do you shut down? Like how far before bed do you shut down your phone and don't answer emails or texts or whatever? I mean, I'm not, I'm not checking. I usually put it on airplane mode. Um, you know, okay. 30 minutes before bed. And, and just to be clear, like 10 years ago, I was the guy watching TV in bed, surfing the internet before yeah. bed. And I could never figure out why I was always so tired and why I had so much difficulty sleeping. And it was because of what I was doing before bed. And it's amazing, you know, getting rid of the electronics, creating a more peaceful bedroom as well, where that stuff's not there yeah. and having a deliberate, yeah. very mindful, peaceful, grateful bedtime routine. It's amazing how much easier it is to fall asleep and wake up feeling refreshed. So now, maybe you said I missed it, but how long does that whole routine take? For I you? mean, that whole thing is that routine is, you know, 15 minutes probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, it's not that yeah. long guys. It's not even, even just, all right, now I know you said you don't have kids or a cat yet, but let's talk about 
you know, how do you do this with the people that have like, you know, a baby and they're running, you know what I mean? Like some things like waking up in the middle of the night and they're running around and the kids are screaming, you know, it's not as easy, but keep in mind, you can still do it. You know? Yeah. You can't help it if you're getting up, you know, when you have a little one Mm -hmm. in the middle of hours, but not everyone has little babies at home and no matter, no matter what they do go to sleep. And I think you can still get in the journal in the gratitude, no matter what. Yeah. And look, you know, my routine works for me, somebody else, it might be vastly different, you know? So I want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not going to say everybody needs to do what I do before bed. My message would be having some sort of deliberate routine instead of just, instead of just good thing because that's nothing to do with kids you know yeah, what I mean, mean like shutting down yeah, just, emails and text just something you know be intentional about it like actually think to yourself you know again 10 years ago i didn't I, there was no routine it was just i'd watch tv maybe some nights i'd surf the internet i'd stay up till whenever there was there was no intent behind what i was doing the message is to be deliberate about your routine whatever you know for somebody else it could yeah, be something different And you know what? It seems so like, okay, we know we should do that, but most people don't. You're right. Very few people have that. It's just whatever happens that day happens that day. The kids come in, they do this, you know, but I think most people's routine is answering emails or texts right before bed. But you know, it it goes, sorry, I was just going to say, it goes back to purpose again for me, Sandy. Like for me, I know if I'm not getting good rest, I'm not going to be at my best the next day. I'm going to have more anxiety. I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to be as sharp mentally. And I don't want that. So, so it's not, it's not willpower. It's about, I'm very conscious of what's the impact of my behavior going to be like, yeah, I want to get to bed early so I can be at my best the next day. No, I love it. I love it. All right, Pete. Now I could ask you 50 more questions and I'm probably going to do that another time. But one thing I have to get in is this is my last question that I have from people. Okay. You talk about a lot of strategies, Mm -hmm to break habits. Do you have a favorite strategy? Yeah. And I think to break a habit requires different strategies than to make a habit, which is an important distinction. I mean, it's different if you want to stop doing something versus if you want to start doing something. If you want to stop doing something, the number one strategy that I would share is something I refer to as remove or reduce the cue. And what that means is you know, habits don't just happen. There's some sort of cue that triggers the habit. So, I mean, a cue could be emotional, right? Like you're stressed, so you smoke a cigarette in order to feel relaxed. Um, It could be mental, like you're bored, so you go on Facebook for an hour to pass the time. Um, You know, but it's it's it could be visual, like you see a brownie, so you eat it because it tastes good. You know, but the the habit doesn't just happen; like something causes it. So, if you want to break a habit. The first step is to really step back and and it might take some time but figure out what are the different cues that cause the habit. You know, wh- you know, is being around certain people, is it being in a certain location, is it a certain time of day? And then you ask yourself how can you remove or reduce that cue? How can you eliminate that cue so the behavior just never happens or how can you reduce your exposure to it so you're less likely to do the behavior? And that is much more strategic than, you know, the willpower approach which is hey, I'm just going to stop doing you really haven't gotten to the root yeah. cause. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. All right. So now you have a five hour work week. How many, like, what do you do, Pete? How many hours a week do I work? I mean, does it always fluctuate? Cause you're in your own business. Yeah, right? So you're I mean, I probably yourself. work my typical schedule. You know, I, I have kind of my morning routine before work. Um, I generally work 
you know, 8.30 to 5.30 or 6. So I probably work 50 hours a week. But, you know, there's there's a lot of breaks in between. That's a big part of my approach, um, you know, how I go through the day in terms of managing energy. So even though it's a, quote, 50-hour work week, I mean, there's probably 35 to 40 focused hours out of that time. And, and there are very strategic breaks throughout the day you know, to, to keep my energy high and to, to be productive. Do you, are you working out, eating, meditating or? Um, I work out before work, um, which is something I started doing okay. about five years ago. It was something I would have thought was crazy 10 years ago. Um, but um, I work out before work and then during the day, um, you know, I, I refer to it as working like an athlete. So you'll, you'll appreciate this. Um you know, just like interval training, right? The, it's more effective if you kind of go all out and you take breaks as opposed to just going slow and steady for an endless period of time. It's really the same way at work. Mm-hmm. I mean, fluctuating between these periods of intense focus, um, what I call performance block, where you're just totally locked in on a, on a high value task, you're not multitasking. Um, and then you take what mm-hmm. I refer to as a boost break, you know, five, 10 minutes, you get up, you move around, you grab some water, maybe you go for a walk. Um, but something to kind of boost your energy so you can come back and, and hit that next block with uh, focus again. So it's it's working like an athlete. It's kind of going through your day where you're you're fluctuating and a much, much more mm-hmm. productive way than yeah, just yeah. powering through for hours at a time. All right. So now before we go, let's talk about what you're doing now. So tell us about your company. Yeah. So I bring the the principles from Work Stronger into companies as well. So I developed a program called the Work Stronger Signature Program where I go into companies and lead a workshop on the, the principles and research in the book. Uh, there's also an assessment that people take before the workshop so they can get a snapshot strong they're working right now. And then uh, there mm-hmm. are tools and, and online resources they get af- access to after the workshop to you know continue to support them on whatever changes they want to make. I love that. That is so cool. And I love that you're emphasizing, you know, corporations because that's such a large part of your day. I mean, it's, it's huge. Definitely. How long is your work last? So the full program is a, is a full day, which I usually do as, as a, a half day on two consecutive days. So there's a little overnight reflection in between, yeah. um, but it could also mm-hmm. be condensed into a, you know, a half day or even a keynote if, if that's what uh, people are interested yep. in. Yep. I love it. All right. Now, listen, we got to go, Pete. I'm sorry, you know, but we have to go. Is there anything that you wanted to go over that we didn't get in? I am even, by the way, just so you know, I'm even more excited about your book than before. I mean, people, you got to get this freaking book. It's just appreciate that. And you got a great radio voice, by the way. Like you're going to have to do radio. Oh, man. It's quite a compliment. I appreciate that. Yeah. You have a really good, strong voice, you know, so it comes off so clear like i am here with pete bond all right anyhow so what else did we get in is there anything else before we wrap up no i guess i'll I'll just share kind of a final message message for people i mean i think you know this concept of habits right it's not about you don't need more time you don't need more willpower you don't need different genetics like any person has the ability to take their life and career to a higher level just by forming stronger habits and and you know there's a very practical approach and if you were to you know, change one behavior at a time, you know, you could be on a completely yeah. different path a year from now and it would be totally sustainable and there's no willpower required. So, um, you know, I encourage people to so think big. Know, 
Yeah. I was trying to think of this when you were talking. I can't remember. I know there's, a, I'm like, you know, a knowledge mm-hmm. seeker. I have like millions and millions of books, but there's a book. I can't put my name on it, but um, it's all about like, no matter how long the habit is. So people have said, when people say, oh, mm-hmm. it takes 30 days or I don't know, this 21 days, it's bullpucky. It depends on the person. It depends on mm-hmm. the habit. Do, is there anything scientifically, you know, that it takes this long or is it more individual to change a habit depending on how long you've had that? It's a great question. It's probably the number one question people ask me about habits. So uh, the short answer is it depends. Uh, There was actually a study that was done a few years ago to try to figure out how long it takes to form a habit. And you're going to laugh at this. They found that it could take, um, well, let me tell you, they, they had people try to form a habit like drinking a bottle of water or exercising and, you know, some type of healthy behavior. And they found that it could take people yeah. anywhere from 18 to 254 days to make something a habit. So, there well, here, but here's, I think there's there a couple go. of key takeaways from that, though. So, the number one takeaway is the complexity of the behavior is important. If you want to drink a bottle of water at lunch, like that's pretty easy. That might be something you could make a habit in a few days or a week. If you want to exercise for 20 minutes before work every day and you're not exercising at all, like that's going to take a lot longer because that's a much more complex behavior. So uh, complexity matters and then uh, your strategy matters, right? So uh, that's my goal with the book is to give people strategies so that they can form habits more quickly and naturally. If people are relying just on willpower and there's no strategy, then you know, it might take you, you know, three, four, six months yeah. to make something pretty automatic. I love that. That's perfect. Because, you know, a couple people that I spoke with before this were saying, oh, this one says I can change this habit in exactly 21 days. I said, are you a freaking robot? You know what I mean? Like, you know, seriously, people, you know, it's not that cookie cutter. All right. Well, like minds, I love it. But how can they reach you? I mean, we'll have it all sure. written down, but tell us. How do you want them to reach out to you besides buy your book? Sure. No, I mean, if uh, you know, they can check out the book at workstronger.com. It's on Amazon or other uh, you know, sites as well. Um, if they're interested in the corporate programs, that would be workstrongerconsulting.com. Oh, I love it. All right, Pete, it's been so much fun. You and I will chat after we stop the recording. But for everybody out there, let's keep it real. And don't forget... Highlight the positive. Bye, Pete. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember, keep highlighting the positive and let's keep it real. <laughs>